of Clodano to roam. We've come to see if Potter's old. And if I die before I wake, another slug you'll have to bake. For now it's the magic time, you stand alone. Will you see if Ben is home? A father's mistake you two would make. Come now, deem your reality we now break. <laughs> Welcome out, ladies and gentlemen, to another spectacular episode of Conjectural Technologies, a venture industries podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, inimitable Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companda, Baron Beast Lamode, and we are joined, as always, by our resident denizen of dinner theater, the vaudevillain, a man for whom breaking a leg is never enough. Today, we are covering a very special episode, originally airing on October 28th, 2012. It is the season five opener, A Very Venture Halloween. Now, (laughs) the scariest thing about this episode is how awesome it is, and we have so much to cover. But before we bounce in to this episode proper, I wanted to take a moment and get into a little bit of the Halloween spirit and ask Vaud and Beast to share some of their favorite Halloween memories in honor of this very special All Hallows Eve episode. You know, actually, uh, my favorite Halloween memory is not just one memory, it's a series of memories that immediately- Yes, it wasn't all bad. (laughs) It's funny (laughs) because it totally deals directly with Hank. I was Batman for like six years in a row as a kid, from like six to 12. (laughs) Maybe not like I'm exaggerating, maybe not six years in a row, but like quite a few where I was wearing like the same Batman costume until the Batman costume had to get repaired, like replaced, uh, you know, more than once. Um, So, and that was very much, you know, something that endeared the show to me right off the bat was uh right off the bat, the bat. aha um yeah and especially like particularly that that particular like adam west costume face like yeah. I, I had the bad plastic jumper and the, the whole nine uh i got a better cape later on but yeah all, all my years my tenure spent as the bat uh when i was a child um is is kind of my my series of favorite halloween memories uh, although this year I did spend uh, a lot of time prepping, uh, putting drugs in the candy, uh, just so then 
Mrs. Uh, Audrey Hartburn here can actually mix it up with the rest of the candy and give it to me. Uh, I figure, you know, in the venture spirit, we're going to go with urban legends. Um, I've never actually gotten like drugged candy before. So one of these butter tap, like peanut butter taffies is going to be laced with LSD. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> so in my, my bathroom, if, if, in, in my bathroom, and you've been in the, the, the downstairs guest bathroom, right? Uh, have you actually read the picture that's hanging over the commode? Oh, your, your acid test. Yeah. <laughs> my buddy Jed Johnson, he's a photographer and artist. He's freaking phenomenal, based out of Indianapolis. I strongly recommend everybody look him up. So uh, what he did was he sent this to me, and it's an empty popsicle stick, right? So it's a popsicle stick that's been eaten. You can see the stain of where the popsicle was. And you see this stick, and on the stick is written a little handwritten note that just says, I put a lot of LSD in this popsicle. Good luck. <laughs> like, I think that would make Ken Kesey smile. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But I digress. Please continue. Well, uh, my question is actually, like, if one of my kids, like, you know, clones gets a hold of it, I was thinking, how would you tell if your three-year-old clone was on acid? You, I don't know that you could. Right, exactly. Like, I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, because he's just going to come up, babble, like, you know, in, in spurts of coherency. Tell me about the texture of things, how thirsty he is, <laughs> <laughs> like how the show is bumming him out. Like, the carpet the makes him bored. <laughs> I was going to go with the floor is actually lava, and he's just really committed to the game this time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's pretty solid. I, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Now that you put it that way, uh, isn't growing just a series of which drug it seems like you are constantly on? Like, every toddler is like a little drunk person. Yeah. They're kind of, I do not you know, like Bobcat Goldthwaiting around, like their legs aren't really under them. Like, occasionally there's a whole lot of throw up. And then as they that get a smell. little bit. Yeah. <laughs> And then as they get a little bit older, they stop being a drunk and just start being on acid all the time. Like you're getting a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of non sequiturs. Things are really interesting. And then they're not. <laughs> like, did you see that rainbow? Oh my <laughs> God, did you see that rainbow? Right. <laughs> and then as you get a little bit older, like you get to the bored phase, right? You're just high all the time. You just want to be watching TV, sitting on your tablet don't want to engage much. You're just too cool for school, but too lazy to do anything. And then like, you know, what are the, like, what are the next phases of life? I guess after uh, that, that's when you hit your, your meth phase. I was going to say puberty sort of mushrooms. Like <laughs> everything's changing sizes and shapes. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Yeah, up is down, down is up, big is small, like the whole world kind of, yeah. That, that's pretty apt. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Pretty interesting stuff. I wonder if uh, there is not a dedicated listener who has thought about this as well and has come up with the exact breakdown of the apparent drugs of childhood. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, it, well, I mean, I'm getting a test kit from CVS for my six-year-old tomorrow, so, like, now that we've thought about it, like... <laughs> right. All right, kids, sit down. This is called a spinal tap. It doesn't mean you're voting for Biden, but... <laughs> uh, I mean, they're a little young for Christopher Guest films. Right. So, you know Spinal Tap's coming back to do a, uh, a Biden fundraiser, right? Yes. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was pretty impressive. Uh, also, uh, this is going to make you really happy. I saw this news today. Savage is a huge Brian Wilson and, and Beach Boys fan. Uh, so I guess the new lineup of the Beach Boys is uh, like doing some campaigning, um, you know, for, for Orange Voldemort. And uh, <laughs> then Brian Wilson and uh, the other last living member of of the original beach boys are like nope they're not with us boycott them <laughs> <laughs> they are they live by the beach boys they're not like beach boys yeah yeah so you're telling me boys. you're telling me trump is the yoko ono to the beach boys like <laughs> wow i hadn't thought about it that way but oof split them apart <laughs> So I did, I did catch an interesting story the other day. Uh, Dennis Wilson, Brian's brother, one of the original Beach Boys, uh, apparently met Charlie Manson, right? And uh, they had a bad interaction, and Charlie Manson showed up at his house, and he pulled a bullet out, and he gave it to him. And Dennis is like, yo, what's this? And he's like, I want you to look at that bullet and thank God every day that your kids are still alive. And then Dennis Wilson beat the ever-loving snot out of Charlie Manson in front of his followers, like mercilessly and relentlessly. Endless summer, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, yep. It, it, it that hit was number one with a bullet. So they, uh, yeah, that and smile was like, never uh, released either. Yeah, right. Oh. Apparently, that uh, that led to what would eventually become the Sharon Tate fiasco. <laughs> Oh, because he was going looking for the the one dude, and then uh, the Tate man, like it was the the Tate Polanskis there instead. Yeah, it was. Uh, that's pretty messed up. You know, that's why I like history according to Quentin Tarantino. At least, <laughs> like it's fucked up, like on the surface, like it's not like real life fucked up. <laughs> sure, know, Tate lived in that world. Okay, that's a great world. Not you know, that was actually one of the things about Inglorious Bastards. It was like uh, he kind of took the Robert Anton Wilson approach to that movie, which is, what if you had all these plots to kill Hitler and all of them worked? Yeah. The only thing you were missing was like Brock Samson with a magical knife. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Vaudevillain, what's your favorite Halloween story? <laughs> And actually, uh, mine sort of loops back to Hank as well. Um, it was the, Hank, the spirit of Halloween. Hank <laughs> is the spirit of Halloween. Okay, I, not to get into the episode, but I'm disappointed that we got a Halloween episode and he's not in the bat costume. Um, it never comes up in the episode, so might as well say it now. Why isn't Hank in the bank, the bat costume for Halloween? Like, come on now. Um, he's putting but, it in the Hank bank. <laughs> I digress. Um, Hank Bucks only. There was a <laughs> there was a about three year run of uh, right after I stopped actually going trick or treating, where I started doing the candy duty at the house, and uh, I had a base growing up when I was a kid, 
And I was like, I want to scare the kids, but I don't want to like make anything or do any action. I did like, a, a, I think I had like a skeleton with a candy and a bucket up front. But then I had my amp and I had an effects unit on it and I had like all sorts of weird trippy sounds going on it and I was just hiding in the bushes and I would just wait for people to get to perfect spots and I would just hit like a note or I'd play creepy music as they're coming up. Uh, but my favorite was I would see it was like little kids and despite my name, I'm not completely heartless. I actually went ahead and learned like the Flintstones theme song and the Smurfs and a couple of just like little things like that. And uh, when the little kids would come up, I would, Play nice stuff but when the older kids would come up i would try and just like wait for them to like step onto the front stairs and that's when Bow! and he was like fuck because i had it set up right near the staircase that was that was good times good times that's pretty solid that's pretty solid that's a good memory uh my did, he, what, did any of you ever mess with kids for halloween or, no. or were you good on no no tricks no man because uh like generally the way i look at halloween like i have such fond memories of halloween and it wasn't until I moved back down to North Carolina that I understood that Halloween could be a warm weather event as well. Because oh. bear in mind, for most of my like Halloweens, I was on base in Chicago or on base in Indianapolis or just, just in Indianapolis, right? And it gets cold up there. Like my birthday is in kind of late September, and usually by that time it's like it's jacket weather. And oh, no, it's always jacket weather for me. <laughs> right. So uh, you know, I remember just getting back and dumping out that pillowcase full of candy, and like just going through and just the the sheer joy of gorging yourself on that. So my biggest like messing with kids thing is I overload them on the candy because that's what I would have wanted as a kid. Like, I don't want like one piece, man. Like if, when I walked up, like if you gave me three or four pieces, like we were cool. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you, you got it. So I remember you after this night, like I know where you live now. You're awesome. Tight. Cool. We good now. <laughs> yeah. Now I never did the giant size candy bar, the, the like full size candy bars or the king size candy bars. Although after this episode, uh, especially considering what my block has been through, uh, I may end up going and just dropping like a hundred bucks on king size candy bars. Be like, all right, kid, you made it through the lasers. Let's do this. I remember wow. the house that gave out full-size regular Reese's. Um, I, I, I could drive to that house to this day. Yeah. <laughs> now, I want to be clear. I want to say that I fully endorse this plan. But what I'm, I want to point out is uh, Savage is like uh, Vash the Stampede of Unintended Consequences. <laughs> And if you don't watch a lot of like old old school anime, uh, it, it's from uh, Trigun. Trigun. Uh, he's called the Humanoid Typhoon. And what I mean by like the Humanoid Typhoon of consequences. So Savage is a DJ. He's he's maturing, getting a little long in the tooth. So he's getting a little respectability. Can kind of pick out his gigs. You know, he's got some status stuff. Uh, but for a long time, he. DJed a lot of really killer parties at, uh, you know, 
in, in the triangle area there are so many universities but the biggest ones were always at nc state or at uh at duke right um so not only has he probably incidentally like ended a bunch of college college careers via accidental pregnancies he's you know talking about kickstarting like lifelong childhood obesity <laughs> like, I uh, kids he I accidentally like made by now, he's giving them candy bars. I would like to think that the only people who have caused more unintended pregnancies than I have are those people in Thailand who were reusing condoms. <laughs> oh god! I saw that story. Oh my god! Like, you know, there's a lot of bad jobs. I've done a lot of bad jobs. (laughs) Where's the line? Like, when you are literally doing a Joe Dirt joke for a fucking living. Yeah. 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 Good times. Well, speaking of used condoms, happy Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Truly the glass slipper of our generation. So... Speaking of good times, dynamite episode because there's a lot to go through. Let me go ahead and just kind of run through our opening here. We start off four years ago. Hank is dressed up as Igor, Dracula's humble and spooky assistant, and he serves Brock and Dr. Venture blood as they come into the Venture Boys' bedroom. Uh, Dr. Venture's like, what is this? Hank's like, blood. (laughs) It's like, what is this? Ketchup and Pepsi? (laughs) Right? So, they come in, and one of the learning beds slides back, and it's Dracula. Uh, Dean is Dracula. He rises up. He's like, I crave blood. So, they're essentially doing a haunted house in their bedroom because I guess they're not allowed out. Or maybe the nearest houses are just too far away. And considering they have a death problem, Doc's not comfortable letting him off the compound. So, just to reinforce what a horrible parent Doc is, he is, he can't even muster the basic due diligence of, oh, this is really cute, great job, boys. No, no. He is visibly and loudly unimpressed. So, then we get to three years ago, right? One year later, uh, Hank Dima decked out their room to look like an ancient tomb of a mummy. Hank, as in his like pith helmet and oversized safari jacket, leads Dr. Venture and Brock through the tomb. (laughs) Watch out, it's full of mummies. And then a spider falls down from the ceiling, but it's just like a sock with some pipe cleaner stuffed into it. And of course, just to remind you of what an awful parent Doc is, his response is, hey, that's my sock. Okay, Uh, we get there and Dean crawls out of the cardboard pyramid as a mummy. They put sand in the room and he's choking on some of the sand, knocks over the cardboard pyramid and it's just not scary, but hey, they try. And Doc, again, being a bad father, is visibly and loudly unimpressed. One year later, so two years ago, Dr. Venture and Brock walk into Hank and Dean's room, except they are lying in pools of blood, their heads crushed by a bookshelf, their bodies splayed out behind them on the blue carpet, books covered in blood, splatter everywhere. 
The reaction is not what you'd expect. Dr. Venture says, what's going on here? Ugh, Brock, get a bucket of cold water with ammonia and deal with this. Then meet me in the tank room. I gotta heat up the slugs. And of course, they leave. And Hank says, what was that all about? Dean says, he's impossible to scare, not realizing that they're clones. Turns out it was their attempt to fake them out. They just did a bad job. Now, it's the present day, October 31st. Hank is on his computer. Dr. Venture walks in and asks if they're working on a haunted bedroom. Hank's like, uh, I'm not up to anything. That's baby stuff. But uh, I did get one of your emails. It says something about a malignant melanoma. That sounds bad. Dean, meanwhile, is in the bathroom. He screams saying, it hurts, it burns when I pee. I knew I shouldn't have trusted her. Dr. Venture's turning to go yell at Dean. And that's when Sergeant Hatred comes in. And Sergeant Hatred has bigots. They are massive. They don't address it at all this episode, but it's important for us to point out. Like, it, wow. How is it they put it in Fight Club? The way you think God's as big? <laughs> I was gonna say Bob had bitch tits. Yeah. 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 Oh, dude, was it, they were, they, they hung massive the same way you think of God's as big. Yeah. And then he pulls back and there's like the Shroud of Turin face. Yeah. And yeah. crying, yeah. Well, Sergeant Hatred runs in and it's like, Doc, there's water coming out of the light socket in the kitchen. When was the last time you guys updated the plumbing at this place? And like, Dr. Vinci is like, oh my God, like this is just the worst possible like confluence of events. And that's when Dean pops out and says, boo, gotcha. So they finally managed to scare him. And Sergeant Hatred chimes in with a happy Halloween, Doc, and the credits roll. I love this opening for a couple of different reasons. Number one, Doc's an awful person. Yep. Like, and they knew how to mess with him, but like by the time they got there, they were like, oh, let's make it about him and his favorite. Oh, and the compounds who's gonna have to spend money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this is also one of those weird pranks that like, I could have seen going very wrong and like Doc having his first like real heart attack. But... <laughs> <laughs> and okay, um, one of my favorite things about like the, the whole open is clearly like, you know, you get a snapshot of progression of the maturity of the boys. Like once they realize like the kitty stuff doesn't work, we're going for realism. And then like, well, realism didn't work because that was like hyperbolic realism. Like that's that's like caricature realism. So then like, let's go for like, you know, crazy, like, you know, acute realism. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're starting to understand their world and their surroundings a lot more. Um, and I mean, you know, like you said, it kind of highlights just what kind of an asshole Dad Doc is. Uh, I mean, okay. Just throwing this out there, uh, we just finished up the 2124 block and we, we cover hatred quite a bit because he starts popping up. And, uh, you know, I, that's the hill I'm going to die on. Like, I, I, I'm a hatred fan. Um, yeah. Doc is like, well, why did I hire you? Well, like, let's look at the facts, Doc. You have like a compound where you will literally one day a year lure other kids in with candy, but not let other kids out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, no wonder the one UPS guy thought you were running a cult, dog. <laughs> like, yeah, right? 
You know, so one of the really neat things about this episode in particular is that it takes place during the actual season five premiere, What Color Is Your Clean Suit? Like, so the first part of What Color Is Your Clean Suit takes place before this, but the second part takes place after this episode. So this episode takes place during What Color Is Your Clean Suit? And the reason they kind of got this out was because the idea of not having an episode in 2012 was really upsetting Jackson public. So oh, that they, was upsetting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not drawing lines in the sand. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And of course, that episode, What Colors Your Clean Suit, didn't air until seven months after this one. That was kind of a running thing for them, though. The amount of times we got, I mean, I, uh, all the all that in Gargantua 2, that was meant to be a premiere for a season, if I remember the story correctly. Uh, but we got that instead, which great episode, but still... And then it was another, I want to say, full calendar year before uh, season six, that would have been, came out. Yeah. Um, they just, yeah. It, poor, poor, poor Venture Brothers. <laughs> uh, you know, Absolutely. actually, I just shared an article from uh, that came out on NPR today. Uh, I was so happy to see that article earlier today. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a good article, and then they got me right in the feels where they're like, you know, we did something yeah. great, you know, kind of kind of like the Muppets, you know, Frank Oz and Jim Henson. I'm like, oh, you son of a bitch, you still had to hit me in the feels with your words. <laughs> like, <laughs> you why, see- Jackson Public? Why? Did you see that meme that had Scarlett Johansson with Jim Henson's face? It was Scarlett Jim Henson. <laughs> <laughs> I love both of those no. things, but that's kind of like... Uh, Together, it was appropriate for a Halloween episode. Right. <laughs> that's that's like... Uh, I would put that on par with some like body horror. Like That's that's some human centipede type scary shit. I, I gotta tell you, man, some of my favorite costumes, like, uh, you know, just kind of go back to another memory. So you, you remember the Juggling Gypsy, right? Um, there was a Halloween contest there. And do you remember the samurai costume I made out of cardboard boxes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was my wordplay. I, I made a samurai jack. I, I made a sa- I made samurai armor out of Jack Daniels boxes. So I went to samurai Jack Daniels. Nice. And nice. I love wordplay Halloween getups. Like one year, I ran out of time to create an outfit, so I just ran into the closet, grabbed everything red that I could find, and like just wore red pants, red shirt, red like toboggan. Everybody asked me who I was. I said I was well read. Oh, nice, nice. So, your favorite thing to dress up as for Halloween is a dad joke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, now that I'm thinking about it, my favorite Halloween tradition was my wife was always super pregnant over Halloween, and she had this orange uh, sweater, like sweatshirt that she wore when she was a teacher. And I drew a beautiful jack-o'-lantern face on it so that her massive belly was the jack-o'-lantern. And she got to rewear that with, she got to wear it with all of her kids. (laughs) Nice. Apparently I have uh, a timetable when impregnating my wife. (laughs) You've got good grouping. I've got a (laughs) couple. 
I've got a couple of cousins who were born the day before and the day after Christmas, and now nine months before that on their anniversary, my aunt and uncle aren't allowed to go to Carmel anymore. So... (laughs) 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 And I believe they're only a year apart. Like, it was boom, boom. (laughs) That'll do it. Something in the water in Carmel, man. Hey, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's called vodka. Thought the water tasted funny. <laughs> we uh, we get into the episode proper, and we find out that uh, Doctor Orpheus is going to be hosting an annual gathering of magic, known as the Brimstone Assembly. Uh, Doc says, "Is like okay, that's fine. Just don't play any loud music. You park your cars or brooms or whatever outside the gate." So Dermot walks in, and he's dressed as the Crow and is making fun of Dr. Orpheus for wearing what he normally wears instead of like, oh, I thought you'd be in like sweatpants and a wife beater. And Orpheus is a little taken aback by this at first, but he warms up to the idea a little bit later. Uh, Now, this scene that's about to take place is actually really, like I have been in this situation. I wonder if you guys have either. Dermot's in the house. Like Dermot's a regular now. Dermot feels like he can just walk in. But Doc's like, hell no go outside and ring the doorbell. Like, you are not welcome in my house the way you think you are. Go outside and ring. And like, Doc's seeing Dermot. Dermot argues, fusses, eventually goes outside and rings the doorbell so that Doc can yell for his kids to get the door. (laughs) Well, this is how deep of an asshole dad he is. Because what happens between season four and season five? Shallow gravy. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. And that's the shallow gravy special is where Doc finds out about Dermot. Yeah. So in this scene, he's completely aware and he's still like, get the hell out of my house, you illegitimate bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You come in like, you know, you come in through the help and the you come in through the helper entrance. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're not a guest. You're the helper. Well, and, uh, you know, later on, uh, I forget when, at some point, you know, Doc finally does kind of get over his shit. And, you know, it's really, it's actually a really nice moment where he tells, uh, you know, Dermot to take out the trash, you know, which is very juxtaposed to this. But, you know, uh, right now, like, he's really doubling down on, like, asshole dad. Like, I'm going to be a bad dad to my kids. And you know what? I've been missing out on time with my illegitimate son, so I've got to be, like, extra shitty to him. <laughs> yeah, i, I, I got to make up for that. Well, Dermot finally gets to Hank and Dean, and he's upset that they're not dressed. And Hank's like, you said costumes weren't cool. And Dermot's like, no, it's not a costume. It's a disguise. The cops don't recognize us. Uh, do you remember going out for Halloween when you were, like, you know, like you were done trick-or-treating, but you still wanted to go out and get into quote-unquote mischief. Like, oh, what if the cops catch us? Because your pranks are so awesome, right? Yep. Uh, and, and I love that Dermot's trying to wrap up. No, no, like, I'm not wearing this costume because I thought it was cool. I'm wearing it so the cops will know who I am because no one's going to recognize the guy dressed like the crow. Like, if I need to pick somebody out of a lineup, uh, let's see, who's dressed like the crow? Well, it certainly can't be this guy dressed like a crow. Oh, that would that would have been great if uh, when he got arrested later on, 
if that would have come up as the alias, like flying sidekick. Oh shit, you're that kid who dressed up as the crow. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Dean is like, oh, I'm wearing a speed suit. That's probably oh, enough. hang on. We can't, I, I can't believe we glossed over this. Being from, from the port city, we have a big tie to the crow, man. Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, so Wilmington, North Carolina, of uh, before the the tax incentives were rolled back pretty hardcore, used to make a lot of movies, and one of those movies was The Crow. Brandon Lee was shot and killed on the set of this movie. Uh, and you know, it, it's one of those kind of it, it's big in you know not only like Wilmington movie circles, but it's big in like the martial arts mythos. And of course, like, you know, there are whole conspiracy theories about like how uh, Bruce Lee died. And then like, you know, of course they came for Brandon Lee and all this shit. Like that was the whole point of the movie, the Bruce Lee movie, Dragon. Yeah, Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, uh, it was a big thing and getting into the, the martial arts circuit uh, later on in life, like my Kung Fu teachers were actually like extras as foot soldiers in the Ninja Turtle films. Uh, they knew guys who worked on the crow and stuff like that. Um, so I mean, it was it was kind of a big deal, man. Uh, it's one of those movies I had to go back and rewatch because when I watched it as a kid, I was like, Ernie Hudson's in this, Winston, Winston Zedmore. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, well, well, this is not. He is not doing anything. He's just a cop. Like, <laughs> so like reapproaching it as an adult, I'm like, holy shit, the crow was really good. Now I'm sad that Brandon Lee's dead. Yeah, it is definitely, it, it was one of those things, what was it, 1994 when that came out? Because I, I remember, like, that the J.O. Bar comic and all this stuff. I mean, it, it, it was a whole thing. Like, it was it was the coming out party for the goth aesthetic. Drink it up. It had the weirdest, it had the weirdest superpower I think I've ever seen in a movie. I've never seen anti-heroin man before. Um... <laughs> That is like <laughs> just say no to heroin, die of alcoholism, like a real American. Ah <laughs> oh, man, that could have been a great crossover, like the Crow and Salt Lake C- or uh, SLC Punk. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Goths and punk kids don't get along. South Park taught me this. Um... <laughs> what do you mean? His name's Heroin Bob. No, he just took aspirin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hank decides he's going to grab his costume. So he rushes upstairs, comes back down with a trash bag. My favorite part about his costume was that he kind of stuck his head through the top of the trash bag. He opened up the bottom and he ripped two arms for holes. So it's just kind of over his torso. And the drawstrings of the trash bag are like a little bow tie. Like which a little I just, Sanders bow tie. Yeah, like I straight up <laughs> loved it. And... He's like, Doris like, what's that? He's like, oh, I'm a bag of Hank. Or, and then he puts on a pair of orange sunglasses, a California raisin. <laughs> oh, fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, super solid, super solid reference. One of my um, favorite Christmas specials was the California Raisin Christmas special. It, man, I, they were a thing back in the day. And it's, uh, it's surprising to me it, it, well, I don't even say surprising. It's fascinating to me what sticks and what doesn't stick. Like in that NPR article, he was like, yeah, like Stiv Bader's is part of the the canon now. 
right? Yeah. Because he made this this one reference, and you know, it, it's it's always fascinating what sticks and why things kind of get get seized upon to kind of carry on a little bit. Um, when it comes to the California raisins, I am shocked they are not more of a thing because I know people who used to collect the heck out of those. Oh yeah, myself included. In fact, I'm kicking myself now for losing that collection. Um, but what I think the real legacy here is, uh, being a bit of a, a TV nerd, right, is that uh, Venture Brothers has kept alive the very special Halloween episode. <laughs> you know, the very special holiday episode. Yeah. And they have more than one. I mean, they, they, Villain and I were talking about it, kind of plotting out our, our course for the rest of the year. Like, they went out of their way to actually create a few holiday specials and in terms of like the pantheon of tv man like the christmas special is one of my favorite things ever like Thanks, just Doctor. save santa yeah <laughs> yeah i i'm real life peter griffin on that shit. like dude i will watch the the claymation i watch the california raisins christmas every year and venture brothers has given us a great adult version of that like I have an episode that I can turn to for every major holiday. Yeah. What's the Easter episode? I said major holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of special holiday celebrations, we've got Orpheus, Jefferson, and Al setting up for the 331st meeting of the Brimstone Assembly. Jefferson's painting a circle on the floor, and uh, he is not thrilled to do it. Uh, there's a, Al comes in with treats, you know, and Orpheus's response here is like, oh yes, put them next to the cheeses, they're more of an hors d'oeuvre, rather than the taquitos, <laughs> right? And of course, you know, there's a ring at the doorbell, and it's Red Mantle and Dragoon. Uh, Dragoon is in blackface. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we actually talked a little bit earlier about uh, whether or not this particular episode was going to get pulled uh, just in light of everything. And uh, it obviously hasn't been. And I don't know for how long that'll be the case. Although it's really funny how it plays out. And if you catch the reference that he's giving, it's even funnier. Well, so uh, at the risk of like poking the bear, like they pulled Golden Girls for like a mud mask reference. But like the two-headed man joke here totally got under the radar. Well, and uh, we're gonna have to explain the reference, but let me let me run through the scene really fast. So Jefferson answers the door. Uh, Dragoon is in blackface. Jefferson is not impressed. Dragoon explains they're in a Halloween costume as the two-headed man, right? Red Mantles explains that the only way to get Dragoon to come to the gathering was. <laughs> by convincing him it was a costume contest. He's like, when I told him it was a magic gathering, he didn't want to come. And Dragoon's like, I'm confused by card games. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. The magic the gathering. The cardboard crack. Yes. So um, just a quick note about what this is, all right? So he says he's Rosie Greer. Rosie Greer was a, um, was a, a, a college football star, right? He also did a series of movies. He's also a reverend, right? 
And one of the movies that he did was 1972's The Thing with Two Heads, starring Ray Milland and Rosie Greer. Now, the tagline for the movie is, quote, they transplanted a white bigot's head onto a soul brother's body. This is as deep a a movie reference as you can possibly get. Like, um, but really cool fun fact about this film. The, so some of the early visual effects are from Rick Baker, right? Who is just, yeah. And the soundtrack is produced by MGM Records producer, Michael Viner. And he had a rotating cast of studio musicians that he called the Incredible Bongo Band. The Incredible (laughs) Bongo Band. Dude, I'm about to blow your mind with this. No, okay, go on. The Incredible Bongo Band was never a real band. He had them go through these things. So you guys know the song Apache, right? Yeah. Jump on it, right? That's this. This is the version everybody uses. It was made famous, uh, I want to say about a decade earlier, by a UK band. Uh, But it was actually written by somebody else entirely, right? I think the original one was like a surf rock hit. And what happens is the Incredible Bongo Band does it. This album was not a major success when it happened, but it starts showing up a little bit later when DJ Cool Herc, like essentially the godfather of hip hop, right? Hercules, baby, starts using this track in his sets because it had an extended breakdown. So we owe this movie for one of the most seminal developments in hip hop ever. That's pretty incredible. And uh, I actually didn't discover the incredible Bongo Band until a couple of years ago through the, the Baby Driver soundtrack. Oh yeah. And then I was like, what? It, oh, oh, I've heard this before. It was one of those, the thing you love that you didn't know the name of. Yeah. Um, and no, that that's that's pretty incredible. Uh, you should also check out the Lafayette Afro Rock Band. Uh, they were a bunch of American expats who went to uh, Paris and were like, screw, screw the U.S., man. We can't handle the racism. We'll just rock out here. Oh, uh, there was another band on the the baby driver soundtrack i can't remember off the top of my head it was like a it was a serious like a high school like you know uh six-piece jazz band um like performance like com- competition jazz uh and like their competition album charted number one <laughs> like their competition demo like yeah no like this is what we're what are you know entering into the contest with like a, a producer got a hold of it and like this shit's incredible uh and uh yeah no i'm gonna have to i'll come up with that later but yes yes on with the plot so uh hank dean and dermot are out walking they're playing the night of mystic dermot has a pillowcase full of halloween essentials shaving cream which uh hank takes his opportunity to rip dean for his uh trash stash that's starting to pop up uh He's got rotten eggs that he buried in his backyard for a month, which Hank credits him on his uh, Ford thinking insight. And of course, toilet paper. Hank, uh, you know, of course, has much better ideas. He's like, Dermot, I brought the only thing you didn't think of. 
a better plan. It's like, we're gonna go stay the night in an actual haunted house. And Dean's like, old man Potter? Hank's like, yeah, absolutely. Dean doesn't want any of it, right? Dermot starts making fun of him. Hank says, Dean, we are men, old enough to grow hair on our balls. Now it's time we use it before something else grows on them, right? And then Dermot and Hank do a go team venture, which makes Dean feel so left out. And he gets mad, he's like, fine, I'm going with you guys. I'll show you who the real babies are. So from there, we bounce back to the venture compound. Sergeant Hatred is uh, putting king-size candy bars into a bowl. King-size candy bars, not full-size, king-size. Dr. Venture is not having it. No, 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 no. We hand out fun size here, Hatred. Venture is such a shysty, just ugh. I enjoy loathing him as a character. You know, he could have been worse, or maybe I'm a worse person, I don't know. <laughs> right? Uh, because, yeah. like, my line there would have been, like, listen, you're not luring them into a van. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't occurred to me until just now why Hatred would have had this idea. <laughs> oh, it's so awful. So, but Hatred's point is really good. He says, Doc, we're 15 miles from the nearest house. We've got an electric fence, motion-sensitive laser device defense modules. A kid makes it to that front door. They're getting the big candy bar. And fair enough. So we're back at the Brimstone Gathering. Dragoon is trying to get drunk, but Red Mantle won't help him. Here's the thing to remember about Dragoon and Red Mantle, if you haven't seen the episode in a while. Uh, Dragoon is attached to Red Mantle. So Dragoon controls the right side of the body, Red Mantle controls the left side of the body. Okay, and just to put this in, in more historical perspective, so the Big Bopper has been grafted onto Buddy Holly. Yeah. Yep. By the man with the sousaphone. By the descendant of the man with the sousaphone. So, Red Mantle doesn't want him to get drunk. It's like, last time I had to hold your head for an hour while you threw up. He's not having it. Uh, one of the things, and it's a running joke, Red Mantle is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Dragoon is just convinced that all magic is blasphemy. And he'll just start <laughs> screaming blasphemer, <laughs> right? Which is- so uh, cool. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So. From there, we get to meet some of the other guests. Uh, the Outriders there with his wife, Orpheus's ex-wife, uh, discussing the rumor that Marilyn Manson had his lower ribs removed so he could suck his own dick. Al says uh, to, he thought, what's that? Shout out to middle school urban myths, man. Like, right? like uh, I, I didn't see, this is a great kind of uh, cross-section of, of what, you know, old school childhood Halloween really was. Because how many, urban myths are they hitting here how many like tentpole cliches and tropes like even modern ones i remember telling this to a kid because an older kid told me this and back in the day that was like as good as hearing it from the internet of so course it's fucking true you're, you're on my case for catherine the great but you're okay with marilyn manson sucking his own dick i mean what's wrong with loving yourself <laughs> Okay, have either of you ever heard the share twist? Because I had never heard that part anywhere else before. Or is that a venture exclusive? I it was an inside joke. <laughs> I, I, I could see that. Pardon I could definitely see that. <laughs> Man, so, if I could turn back time. 
And oh. over here, we then we bounce over to Jess Jefferson talking with the background character. And this is where we actually get my favorite line in the entire episode. It's like, I have yet to meet a woman that doesn't dress sexy on Halloween. Witch? No, sir. Sexy witch. Freddy Krueger? Nope. Sexy Freddy Krueger. Mmm. Sexy damn Freddy Krueger. Which is I have saying. I have said this before, not with the, 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 the Jefferson voice or anything, but just in casual conversation, I have quoted this and passed it off as my own because not enough people watch the show and that's their problem, but it's such a damn good line. Dude, just sex a damn Freddy Krueger. Yep, you so just gotta good. hit the note. Oh, it's the best. Okay, so we've talked about like fun childhood memories. Now we, we've all, you know, uh, we're no longer spring chickens. Uh, we, we're on the other side of our 20s. We've, we've, you know, done things, seen things. I don't recommend it. Uh, what's, what's been the most screwed up thing you've seen in like your adult tenure of Halloween? Um, things I've personally done or things I've seen? Yes. Um, I'm gonna err on the side of not <laughs> being too public. Are you completing um, the fifth? I am going to, so uh, in light of Jefferson Twilight's comment, again, bear in mind, like I've played every Halloween for years and years and years, and I have seen so many sexy damn Freddy Krueger outfits, and I, it, like ever since the episode, I was like, yes, 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 nail on it. You want to be a bee? Nah, sexy bee. You want to be a Disney princess? Nah, sexy Disney princess. Like, it's, it's the whole thing. It's actually one of the things that I enjoy uh, with every Halloween is what's the weirdest, sexiest outfit? Like, you know, okay, let's take R2-D2. Now let's make it sexy R2-D2, <laughs> right? Like, I, I, I have seen it. Uh, one time in, in Wilmington, uh, I went into the bathroom at Firebelly's. Uh, and this was the men's room, to, to be perfectly clear. And uh, I the saw I in that bathroom. Well, and I saw uh, right. Uh, I saw Tinkerbell and Cinderella doing like coke off the sink, and I was like, "Yep, that's childhood over." <laughs> <laughs> like, man, childhood is done. Like, <laughs> there's no going home. <laughs> yeah. You don't, I, I gotta tell you, man, by the time you got into Firebellies, your childhood was over. Like, it, it was kind of the most Isley Cantina of Wilmington. It was a beautiful, wretched hive of, like, was it a, a beautiful hive of wretched A wretched scum hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. Well, we are... Vaude Villain was about to go and we kept trampling him. No, oh, no, no. I was just... It, it, it's just one of my favorite um, memories was uh, in San Francisco. It's about 1030 at night and um, you can hear him screaming before you saw him. And uh, there's just a bike coming down this typical San Francisco hill. Um, so I'm assuming it was covered in Hamburger Helper or rice I'm sorry. No, he, a cardboard box, you're, you're close. He had made himself a little spaceship and he was flying down the street just going Neow! and i was just like that guy you you win like he wanted to dress up as a spaceship and he figured out how to literally be a spaceship for the night 
That's um, pretty awesome. You know yeah. what? In my mind, like I flash back to that guy's childhood, and he's like, "Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a spaceship, an astronaut." No, mom, a spaceship. <laughs> and his dad was like, son, you can't be a spaceship. And he's like, but papa, <laughs> that little boy grew up to be Elon Musk. <laughs> so Orpheus decides that he's going to get the party started. He welcomes everyone out to the Brimstones assembly. And he lights a neat magic fire in a circle around him, and everyone there kind of cheers in anticipation. Uh, we get back to the venture lobby. The doorbell rings. It's trick-or-treaters. Hatred notes that the lasers had a tough time hitting small things. Uh, Dr. Venture owes them five bucks. This is what begins what is, uh, I hope, a long-running Halloween tradition at the Venture Compound, which is taking bets on who makes it to the door. And it gets so good a little bit later on. Uh, but they open up the door and it's Billy and Pete. And they're like, oh, they don't count, no payout. Pete is dressed as David Bowie. And he's like, I'm the thinner, whiter Duke, right? And <laughs> Billy, Billy is Rusty Venture, right? Of course. Um, Doc gives them their king size candy bars and shuts the door. And then they're going to triple, like, Doc and Hatred agree they're going to triple their bet. But the doorbell rings again. It's still Billy and Pete. But they're like, dude, we came here to hang out, right? So we get back to the brimstone gathering. Orpheus and whoa, Jefferson whoa, whoa, whoa. are showing. Did you talk about what Billy was dressed as? Yeah. Did I miss that for a second, laughing at Pete? So yeah, Billy's is Rusty Venture, like little Rusty Venture. Okay, think about that for a moment. You're, I mean, okay, it's hard to imagine celebrity if you don't have it, I get that. But your best friend is like, quote unquote, like one of your your closest friends is dressed up as childhood you. That's like going to a party at like Gary Cole's house dressed up as Willis. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, imagine it like this. If you get invited to a birthday party at like Kurt Douglas's house and you show up as Spartacus, like oh, that's okay. I can do one better. If you go to a party at Meow, uh, was it Mayim Bialik's house, dressed up as Blossom. <laughs> right. <laughs> or if you want to kick her in the nut, show up as Punky Brewster. Oh. <laughs> Shots fired. Too soon. Too soon. So <laughs> that joke was lamer than FDR's legs. So <laughs> we are. Uh, back to the Brimstone Gathering. Orpheus and Jefferson are showing off some magic, and I I'm going to put magic in quotes. They're like uh, using some spell, right? It's like, uh, with the weight of a plume and the stiffness of freshly hewn lumber. And then they like raise the man up from the ground only using two fingers. <laughs> and like, it this is straight up light as a feather, stiff as a board. And I had to go back to this section to see if they in any way were trying to make a reference to Ken Plume. Uh, but I couldn't tell, it, which just seemed like a lost opportunity, right? Because I feel like you could have been like, I, I don't know. I, just, I feel like they had room to play with that or Plume to play with that as the case may be, but they didn't. Um, and Dragoon is very unhappy. He's like, ah, you know, this is blasphemy. And Red Mantle is like, this is this this is light as a feather, stiff as a board. This, this is, is like, the work of a girl sleepover party. Yeah, exactly. So we can see that they're showing off their Halloween magic tricks and like 
I love that Orpheus and Jefferson, two thirds of the Order of the Triad, are like, we're gonna do light as a feather, stiff as a boar. Well, you know, uh, to be fair, it sounds more impressive with the $5 words. It does indeed. So, Hank, Dean, and Dermot are outside of the Potter House, though they're still a little bit away. Uh, Dermot asks if he's like a child murdered or something cool, but Hank says he doesn't know why. Their dad just told him to keep away from the Potter place and never said why. And Dermot, of course, is coming up with all kinds of like elaborate things he probably did. And Dean's like, well, I'm pretty sure this is all part of our property. And Dermot, of course, is like, yeah, I'm sure it is, Richie Witch. Well, you know, since you own it, go first. And they end up doing the most boy thing ever, which is arguing about it. And then one of them says, not it. And Dean gets left out. <laughs> so Dermot says, not it. Dean immediately jumps in with a not it afterward. Dean's, or, I'm sorry, Hank jumps in with a not it. And Dean's like, fine, I'll go do it myself. It's just an old house anyway. Give me the flashlight. And as he wanders off, Dermot's like, brave or stupid? And Hank, with a whole lot of insight here, says, I think he just wants to be alone. So Dean walks through the woods, gets to the front of the house before, you know, he kind of looks back, sees Dermot and Hank hiding, right, a really long way away. Dermot waves him on. Dean goes in, calls out, asking if anyone's home. Um, everything's like the, the interway's filled with like stuffed and mounted animals. One of them's kind of odd looking. Dean shines his flashlight around some more, decides he's been here long enough. He turns around to exit, but he's blocked by this little furry creature. It's a couple feet tall. It jumps at Dean, knocks him over. Dean's flashlight hits the ground and then breaks, turning off. And all we hear are screams as it fades to commercial. It looks like, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's like a it's like a little missing link or or like a leprechaun homunculi or yeah, yeah. good one yeah. I think you just nailed that on the, yeah. It's like if you crossed the wild man of Borneo with the leprechaun homunculi, <laughs> get whatever this is. It's like hairy with like orange fur, kind of like an orangutan. Uh, but okay, uh, so it, you know what it looks like? It looks like if somebody made a bad clone of Warwick Davis using the DNA from ALF. <laughs> So they were like trying to like DNA alchemy and like just kind of missed. Like, yeah, like it's, it's no, just like alchemy. Cronenberg was doing a fly sequel and Warwick Davis was actually in the pod with like an Alf cost. I get you. Um, all right, so what's everybody's favorite like uh, creature, Halloween creature? Like, you know, old school, like, you know, anything like that, or or even something like newer, or you can even go kind of cryptid, because that's, you know, big in regions of the country, but like, you know, we, we've got a Halloween creature here, like, so what's your favorite, like, Halloween monster? Um, I, I really do like my cryptids. I remember there was a show way back in probably 20, 15, 20 years ago on Animal Planet late at night where they would do cryptids. And um, the Jersey Devil episode always kind of got to me because I always just was like, that could be a real animal. It, it, it's in a neck of the woods where it can totally hide out. And it would just seem like the most plausible one. Um, so I've always been a fan of the Jersey Devil. That's that's always been kind of my, my avenue. My favorite Halloween monster 
uh, I'm going to describe using a Michael Ian Black skit. Uh, it's actually from a stand-up where he's talking about how his kid came downstairs, you know, green skin, bolts in his neck, scars, like, oh, right? And he's like, what are you? And he's like, oh, I'm Frankenstein. You know, Michael Ian Black looks at his kid and is like, no, you're not. It's like, yes, I am. No, you're not. You are the creature. Frankenstein was the doctor. Now get upstairs and change. <laughs> so my favorite Halloween monster is the parents who are busy monopolizing their kids' Halloween. <laughs> wow. Those are the true monsters of Halloween. Wow. This went places. Because I was just... Uh, okay, uh, to, I guess to back clean up on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> should have given me cryptids, man. <laughs> You're right. Like, I should have kicked this whole fucking thing off. Because you know what mine is? It's so awful and obscure. You ever catch, like, a B-movie, like, a B-horror flick called Critters? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's Dude, a good one. I, like, I always, like, they were, like, pissed off little like Sonic the Hedgehogs, like Sonic the Hedgehog piranhas. And like they would, uh, the big climax of the, the first movie was them one, rolling into one giant ball. And I remember them rolling over a dude and then a skeleton like kind of kicked out the, the other side. Like it was one of the coolest effects to like my nine year old brain. It was genuinely like terrifying. Like the, these little like piranha porcupine were fucking like lurking the earth now uh yeah no the, i always thought those things were really cool and and getting to get enough play like everybody's like alien versus predator nah i want to see alien versus critter dude uh, cr critter versus my favorite and i just heard a little piece of news that there's some action with the franchise for the first time in ever Please i want to see critter <laughs> no critters versus tremors uh, <laughs> Dude, the best time I've ever like one of the things I do in a blue moon whenever I'm just feeling down and sad in life you want to know what like a, a holistic uh, antidepressant is watching tremors in French <laughs> it makes it sound so classy Oh, dude, like, well, just, like, all the, the language. I mean, do yourself a favor and take off the subtitles. If you've seen the movie, you get the idea. Kevin Bacon's there. That one actor with the dark hair and the, the streak, like, he, he was in stuff. Uh, you know that guy. I think his name's Fred something. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, he was in movie. stuff. <laughs> you know Fred. He's on the pictures. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know dude, Fred. He was in so many movies, too. He hangs out with the lesser bald ones. Uh, <laughs> Fred Ward. Fred Ward. I knew it was a Fred. Like, yeah, dude, he was in the right stuff. Henry and June. He played. He played Henry Miller in Henry and June. I didn't know. Like, wow. And here dude, I am. Henry like, and June is sexy. That's a sexy damn Freddy Krueger of a movie. <laughs> He was also, oh shit, he was also in Time Rider, The Adventure of uh, Lyle Swan. No way. He was in, uh, he was Gus Grissom in The Right Stuff. Now that one blows my mind because that actually just popped up on Disney Plus and uh, a, a few years back, uh, one of my favorite comic book writers talked about how she got into a uh, a bit of a, a wiki hole on, on uh, 
the right stuff like read the book watched the movie researched like you know the the whole program and all that like um and yeah that's come to think of it that's where i primarily know you know i'm lying i know fred ward from tremors but i should know him from the right dude i'm about to blow your mind too he played the private eye hp lovecraft in the 1991 hbo film cast a deadly spell alongside julianne moore what no i actually he was oh yeah and he was the he was the bad guy from naked gun 33 and a third yeah dude there was a while there for a while uh, hbo was actually making some pretty pretty banging creature features uh wolf with uh yeah oh i hated that movie Oh, dude, I love like Jack. I, I really, I love Jack Nicholson. I, I wanted to, I really wanted to like that movie, and I just did not. Well, okay, again, like you know, my kid brain is like, oh, dude, Joker's about to hunt cat, like hump Catwoman. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, also, uh, just to bring this full circle, he was the captain in the horror sequel, The Crow Salvation. Wow. And- We'll leave it there, because otherwise we're going to spend way too long talking about the credits of Fred, Fred Ward. Uh, but please forgive me for interrupting your interruption about Tremors. Continue. Oh, no, that that's all I had to add in. There was just, uh, if we're going around on uh, the extras, and I mean, you, you hit that classic 80s vein, or 80s, early 90s vein of uh, uh, creature horror flicks, and uh, I fucking love Tremors. I showed my wife the trailer for it the other time. She had never seen it, and we just watched the actual, like, uh, original trailer for it and she's is this real did they actually make this and then kevin bacon popped up she's like oh my god i know that guy okay this is a real thing um oh uh, yeah well. here's just a friendly reminder jennifer aniston was in the original leprechaun <laughs> she was and uh that needs uh, to be Courtney, our new <laughs> Courtney cox was in the he-man live action movie that's right masters of the universe yeah oh shit i gotta go find that Oh, I, yeah. I've I've seen it, but I never knew. I didn't know her when I had seen it. Uh, Hungren, yeah. Oh yeah. shit! But I digest. Uh, but I digest. <laughs> uh, that is the name of a totally tangential food podcast. I like it. Hi, honey. I'm home. I hope my sandwich is ready. Oh, your roots are showing, and you know how we feel about that. I'm Amber Gold, international OSI super spy. And ladies, let me tell you, it's harder than it looks. Stopping Sphinx in the Guild is easy, but keeping these naughty roots from peeking out is the real battle. Ventec and Dummy Corps are proud to introduce Voop a new line of feminine health and beauty products for the super science-minded ladies on the go. Time for your hair treatment. One trip to the nozzle took my amazingly lush hair from dishwater to gold. Ah, that's much better. Now, that sandwich isn't gonna make itself, babe. Triangle cut, no crust, heavy mayo, and those little toothpicks with the colored plastic ends on them, blue only. Voop, hair dye, because he's fantasizing about blondes anyway. Thanks to Boop, I can keep my man happy and my co-workers satisfied. Very satisfied. 
found wherever abrasive chemicals are sold. Side effects may include tingling or burning sensation, loss of hair, scalp pain, rapid nasal hair growth, hallucinations, spontaneous male lactation, and loss of life. Not for sale in Europe, Canada, Wonderland, or Taiwan. Products may contain orphans. Please, welcome back to But I Digest, where we talk about everything around the meal and everything afterward. Uh, copyright 2020 trademark helper podcast. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, back from commercial, Dean wakes up, but it's blurry. Uh, there's a man with a surgical mask looking at him. He's pretty much just talking about Dean as if he were a lab specimen. He walks away, puts down his tape recorder when the small animal from before, the, uh, the orangutan homunculi, um, leprechaun, uh, jumps on Dean and starts sniffing his balls. The, angry, the man angrily hits the creature with some papers, calling him Rico and telling him, we do not sniff balls. Dean passes out again. Do you guys recognize this voice? Very much so. Oh, can't miss it. Oh, uh, dude, like, I mean, not only like two parts. Like, the second, if you if you recognize this voice and uh, he, if it doesn't immediately start uh, sending you urgent messages to your spidey sense, to get those fucking pictures of Spider-Man, you're doing it wrong in life. Oh, right? It's <laughs> all you uh, to work harder. Oh, dude, and then, uh, of course, Whiplash, like, now, like, whenever I hear him, like, tempo, tempo. <laughs> well, Dean passes out again. <laughs> then we see the Brimstone <laughs> Assembly. Curse has attempted some magic, but has failed and has instead singed half of his body. And Dr. Orpheus is like, everyone think Chris. He's like, it's curse. Orpheus then introduces Red Mantle, who's one of the oldest members of the Brimstone, Brimstone Assembly. And his magic will be, quote, a twist on an old classic. And Jefferson Twilight's like, what, you're gonna play the banjo while he sings Mammy? Then Red Mantle's like, no, I want you all to concentrate with me and harness the spirits that roam free on All Hallows' Eve, and then I will attempt to pull a rabbit from a hat. And Dragoon, who is like, I, I just this whole scene is hilarious because Dragoon is trying to carry on a conversation to explain he's not being racist to Jefferson Twilight, who, by the way, did have white all over his face from where he was painting earlier. And he was like, what, it's okay for you, but not for me? So, like, he's yelling, I'm Rosie Greer! While Dragoon is trying to explain that he's going to pull an actual rabbit out of a hat he's like no i'm going to do it for real it's really hard and then dragoon says that's what she said and red mantle's response is oh she said nothing of the sort like it's just it's it's excellent do you know it's, do you know i figured it out the other day uh do you know why red mantle and dragoon are amazing they're statler and waldorf of the venture universe right <laughs> Like, they're walking Statler and Waldorf. Like, they're heckling each other. They're heckling, like, life. Like, it's it's amazing. There, there are some of my, like, the two of them hybrid together are one of my favorite characters. Um, if you've never seen it, it randomly popped up on, I think, YouTube for me the other day. It was those two versus Milton Berle on oh. an old episode of The Muppet Show. Oh, that's, uh, that's if you, awesome. If you've never seen that, you can find just that clip. Um, it's worth the watch. It's comedy at its finest for the old school writing style it's fucking great so uh one of the things i was curious about like because uh, I, I very much have a unashamed uh love affair with the muppets i, I don't i'm a grown-ass man and i don't give a fuck um so 
they have a new like Muppet Babies on Disney Plus. I'm checking it out. And Statler and Waldorf are the the cranky neighbors, but they're still like <laughs> roasting toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> that is so on point. <laughs> well, I mean, think okay, think about Fozzie for a second. He's coming over and telling his bad toddler jokes, and they're just like, you know burn like just <laughs> fire to him like roast like you know go kill yourself kid you'll never have a career i mean uh, you know nicely <laughs> so kill yourself with like a fuzzy rope or something <laughs> <laughs> don't get pe- like get pelted to death by like you know tomatoes or something yeah 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 i, I hope i hope you have a peanut allergy like that kind of thing so we're back at the Venture Compound, and a father and a daughter are trying to get up to the front lobby. But before they can get there, the laser defense system comes on and fires at them. They dart away unscathed, but I don't think they're going to be trying again. Back in the control room, Doc, Hatred, Pete, and Billy are watching. And this is where the gambling has really come into its own. They've taken bets to see how far they can get. And uh, Billy had his money on lasers, which means he's the winner. Um, Pete taking sips of his drink. He's like, Russ, what the hell is this? Cola and tomato soup? Venture's like, close, it's ketchup and bourbon. I call it a hunchback. Hank gave me the idea a long time ago. I'd like to point out that uh, when we did our Docktails episode, we did not try this one. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, the Docktails we tried were bad enough. Uh, I mean, I am, because this is what just Pepsi and ketchup. Yeah, and I do encourage, if you guys have not listened to the DuckTales episode, it is instructive (laughs) (laughs) in so many ways. I learned a lot about myself and all of us. We learned a lot that day. The more you know about how awful those drinks are. Um, So we're at the Potter Place. Hank and Dorm are still outside waiting for Dean. They're discussing what the best pieces and checks mix are. Uh, when, you know, of course, they're kind of talking about Dean hasn't come out in a while. And Dermot's like, oh, it's the only cool thing Dean's ever done. And that bounces us inside the Potter Place, where Dean finally wakes up. He's strapped to some type of experimentation table. Uh, The man notices he's awake and that Hank has slept a lot, that he and Hank have slept a lot since they stopped with the learning beds. Dean's like, how do you know this? And the guy's like, oh, I've been watching you your whole life since you were born. And then he says cryptically, and every time after that. Dean has no idea who he is, and he introduced himself. He's Ben. Now, there's speculation that this is a reference to Ben Edlund, maybe the, the where the name, I'm sorry, not Ben Edlund. Um, yeah, Ben Edlund, creator of The Tick. And, uh, like, but the character's oh, there's a lot modeled, of references going on here, man. Yeah, the character's modeled after, like, Jeff Bridges from The Big Lebowski. He's actually wearing a shirt that says Surf's Up, which is uh, probably a reference to the animated film uh, from 2007, where Bridges voiced two of the main characters. Um, although Jackson has also made an addition to this. He said the face was modeled on Nick Nolte's, although it doesn't come across the same way. There's definitely some of the dude in there. Um, but like the surf's up shirt kind of seems like a dead giveaway, but they're like, Oh no, it's just a surf bum t-shirt. Um, also, while he's looking at him, Ben mentions that Dean has androgenic alopecia, which essentially means he's got thinning hair. He also brings up uh, phytoform teratoma, uh, which is the condition Dr. Vincent had, Dr. Venture had in series one, which is, say, vanishing twin syndrome, right? 
And uh, he also mentions a little bit later on that his eyesight's going, it's like, oh, you look cool in Buddy Holly glasses. A very discreet reference to Red Mantle. Well, and I always thought Ben was a, a Ben Kenobi reference. That okay. would have been good. I also thought it was a Benton Quest reference. That was the other mm-hmm. way I was. Maybe I it's took... just maybe it's all of them together. Maybe it's the Quentin Tarantino conspiracy, like just all of them at the same time. Yes, all the bins, and because all they're the doing like a like a a call out on on blackface, even Uncle Ben. Oh, <laughs> wow! God, you're good at this. So, Dean is uh, still tied up. And he's explaining, no, I'm Ben, not Potter. There's a Potter's Field nearby, which is a mass grave for all the people who are killed on the Venture property. And Uh, uh, let me point out, the entire whole, like, twist on this episode is based on an English joke. uh Like, that's, I I love it. It's amazing. Like, the whole, if you don't know, and uh, if you don't know what a Potter's Field is, that's because you've led a good life. Right. <laughs> so, like, the wordplay here is, is a lot of fun, and I love the fact that, like, the whole episode really hinges on, on that. Like, you know, the, the misunderstanding there that drives the episode. So let's explain what a potter's field is really fast. Uh, you guys know what pottery is, right? You make case for strangers for this field was called Hakodama that is the field of blood now obviously you want that deep red clay it's also a very similar reference to the one that they made in Blood Diamond and the one that is lived by people who live in North Carolina South Carolina or Georgia we have that deep red clay and it's great for pottery right that's why you got the seagrove pottery out in the mountains but when you're looking at what the potter's field has traditionally been used for. Like they've got them, the potter's field, essentially, if you're too poor to get a real grave, you get thrown into the potter's field. Yeah, it's a mass grave for uh, the nameless people. Uh, And, you know, who are the nameless people in the Venture universe? Well, we will find out soon. We will find out soon. So... Rico is, uh, you know, Ben tells him to stay away from there. You know, it's like, oh, it's right over there. Just stay away from there. That must have been what your dad told him. Rico is still trying to sniff Dean's balls and gets batted away. Ben frees Dean from the table, noting he's in great health and basically a miracle. Dean asks Ben why he's so concerned about how he turns out. Ben replies that is because he brought Dean into the world. That's pretty shocking. If you think that's shocking, wait till you get a load of this because we're back at the brimstone assembly, but it looks way different. Uh, the outrider has had all of his skin removed. He is hanging from the ceiling on meat hooks. His wife is suspended in chains next to him. He's just trying to solve a Rubik's cube while this like uh, creature who is 
very rem reminiscent of Pinhead and the Kenobites from Hellraiser, right? So it's straight up like, imagine Hellraiser. And this it's, guy- It's all very Clive Barker. Yeah. And this thing is sitting there going, it's like, ah, you love my toast. Enjoy my pleasure toast. And his eyes, what you thought was like this crazy visor, turns out to be a toaster turned on its side. And you start seeing this thing, this like veiny thing coming out. I'm like, oh God, are they putting a dick in this? And then it falls to the floor and it's like flesh toast. It's no, pleasure toast. He tells pleasure me. toast. It's <laughs> weird. And of course, the Outrider solves the cube. The room goes back to normal. And they, you know, the Outrider and his wife, the former Mrs. Dr. Orpheus, uh, is, you know, they take their bow. And there's Dr. no Orpheus. Like there's like, a thing, like where he's changing. He's like, oh yeah, I keep changing the blue side when I twist the red one. <laughs> yeah. So from there, everybody, like people are throwing up. Like everybody is really disturbed by this. And Dr. Orpheus is like, I hope that kind of magic isn't something practiced around my daughter. Al tells him to go outside and get some fresh air. And then Al, Dr. O introduces Al before heading outside. And Al's like, all right, thanks for being generous. This is newsflash. This is completely lame. It's Halloween, people. Let's get down to raising some dead. Let's make some zombies. <laughs> Am I wrong? Dragoon's like, you are wrong, you dark-sided blasphemer. And Alchemist is like, uh, anybody beside Al Jolson? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, so good. All right, let's get it. Dr. O's outside, takes a deep breath, but he hasn't heard anything since he left. So we're back at Huddersfield. Hank and Dermot are laying at the stars. They're looking up at Orion, the hunter. And Dermot's like, oh, I see the belt. The rest is just stars. And then they have this, like, really kind of touching brother moment where they're, like, throwing farts at each other. Right? Okay. That, yeah, that's totally a thing. Actually, and while you know, they're laying... What's up? Uh, we were having... Uh, I, I sent Vaud... Like a, a, a screenshot from the, a text from Deep Diver the other day. So we've been playing like, you know, this, this online uh, game together, uh, Coast of Tsushima. Like they just released the, the online mode. And so we've been kind of coordinating on that. And he's like, you know, uh, hey, fuckface, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And like kind of responding kind. And he hits me back. He was like, you know, whatever works, bagel face. And that knocked me back. I was like, that's, that's funny. You know, especially come from like, you know, canned, you know, military twink. Uh, and that's what fraternal love is, is like, you know, we talk in insults, which has only been magnified by the military. <laughs> like my mom was telling me, you know, uh, she was having dinner with him and uh, like, you know, she would say something, you know, pretty funny or whatever. And he just kind of look up there. He's like, yeah, yeah, but fuck you, mom. <laughs> and that's just how we've we've become to communicate and i didn't i didn't understand a love like this uh you know until like you grow into maturity with your siblings and uh you know you can lob cuss you know cuss words at each other and stuff the more yeah. creatively you can insult your sibling in my home is the more creatively you love them yeah that's <laughs> very irish of you well, I mean, well, the Scottish. I mean, not to imply the Scottish can't insult very well. 
Oh, no, I mean, absolutely. And especially being related to, like, you know, that goat fucking deep diver, of course. Uh, <laughs> so while they're laying there, all of a sudden, zombie arms, skeleton hands start reaching up out of the dirt to grab him. Hank's like, super fucking runaway, which is so grown up of him. Oh, yeah. Remember, uh, if this is technically the, the first episode of, of season five and we're coming off a of prom, new Hank cusses. Yeah. And <laughs> Dean is wearing a black speed suit. Like, that's different. That's just kind of how he dresses now. So they've changed a lot since prom. So we are in Ben's house now, and Ben is trying to calm Dean down. Or he just told him he's a clone. Dean is not thrilled about this. You know, he's like, you know, trying to make him feel good about it. I said, no, no, you're you. You're just the you that we brought back to life. He's like, I'm like Frankenstein's monster. He's like, Dean, you have it all wrong. You have a mommy and your dad is your dad. They made you by getting drunk and forgetting to wear a condom like everybody else. And your dad loved you so much that when you got a boo-boo, he kissed it and made it all better and made it all go away. But you brought me back to life. Well, okay, your brother had some pretty big boo-boos, right? And then Dean's like, I'm freaking Frankenstein. I mean, Frankenstein's monster, whatever. You can't play God. Would you knock it off? We didn't make you from a lotus flower, Dean. We made you from you. <laughs> all right, and uh, Savage having done time uh, in in India and being a fan of, of the Indian culture, which Hindu god reference is that? Because I feel like that's like throw a dart, hit a Hindu god. That one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, it, it, so like one of the things about the lotus flower that has always struck me as the quintessential metaphor behind it was that it grows in the most fetid swamps and the dirtiest water in the world can be sitting there and a lotus flower will spring up out of it and it represents everything beautiful in the world rising up out of everything horrible below and to me that's the power of that symbol, which is why you see it not just in Buddhism, but in Hinduism, and it's been adopted all over the place. It's a very striking visual, but the metaphor behind it is the part of it that really speaks the most to its symbolism. But if I had to guess, I'd say Kali. Shakti Day. Kali Ma. Kali Ma. Yeah. By the way, Shakti means power. So like, that's what they call their nuclear program is Shakti. And if you buy cereal in India, it will say like, for, now fortified with calcium Shakti. <laughs> uh, and in my head, that's always a fun joke. Like now fortified with nuclear radiation. So we'll leave it at that. Um, and Ben's, Ben's response here is actually kind of the deepest moment of the entire episode. Ben says, have a kid one day, Dean. Hold its lifeless body in your arms and then tell me how wrong it is. Your grandpa and I perfected genetic engineering because God or whatever gave us a perfect map to do so. Jonas, me, and yes, your dad saw it as nothing more than a fucking Band-Aid for a really big boo-boo. And then he pauses and says, hey, you want a beer? And Dean says, I think I do. And Ben's like, don't tell your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, though, I mean, like any good uncle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I've often so, 
thought about I, like what kind of substances uh, I'm going to introduce uh, your clones to. Um, oh, the look he's giving me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, like that was straight. If he were like Vader, I would have been choking. Like, <laughs> um, okay. I mean, in the Speak big carefully <laughs> backing up off the the giving minors illegal substances. Um, no, I mean uh, the the big you know impression with all of that that you know uh, i think kind of gets glossed over is as heartless and kind of assholeish as these guys are portrayed to be clearly like you know jonas and uh you know rusty have like a deep well of emotion and a sense of like tragic loss you know um we're seeing like we're always kind of given these caricatures of it but like you know through lip service, we know that, you know, these characters actually do have feelings that can experience pain. Definitely. And I mean, it, it, it even goes back to the uh, intro. The, the ways that you cut Rusty the hardest are so soul-crushing that it takes somebody with actual depth to, to hurt that way. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, we spend a lot of time ragging on him for being an asshole dad. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, he still is. Nothing oh, yeah. can negate that. But like, you know, uh, you know, come to find out, like, he does have like an emotional depth outside of me, 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 me. And uh, that's that's a little like refreshing to find out. I mean, even Jonas Venture on some level experiences like something outside of his own narcissism. Okay, that's a little relieving. <laughs> you know, Beast, I was uh, reading some of the notes for this, and just to kind of get back to that Hindu god thing, uh, there's, it says on the Mantiside that there is a reference to a Hindu legend that Brahma created himself from a lotus flower that grew from the navel of Vishnu. Uh, and I, I, like, part of me, like, that doesn't jibe with me. I mean, it may be one of the legends. There are 100,000 legends for each god in each area. But Brahma is supposed to be the creator, Vishnu is the preserver, and Shiva is the destroyer. There's only one temple to Brahma. There are a million temples to Vishnu. So how could Brahma, the creator, have created the universe from himself when he created himself from the navel of something else that was there before him? And when you understand the question and the answer comes to you, you will under like that will be enlightenment. Uh, what, this, what this tells me is Vishnu has a dirty fucking belly button. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Indeed. You know who's got a super clean belly button? Me now. We're about to find out because there's a bright light from outside the house. All the zombies are converging around Ben's house. There's a bright light above them all, and it's Santa Claus. All right. He lets off a hearty ho 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 and like Dragon Ball Z, like Hadoukens, this like bright light <laughs> right into the midst of the zombies, wiping them all out. Um, and then we get back to the venture compound. Hatred, Doc, Pete, and Billy are watch waiting, watching some more kids uh, try and make their way past the grounds. They're on the security system. They've already made it beyond any of the measures that Doc, Pete, and Billy put bets on. Hatred's the only one with money on them getting to the front door. 
they get a little further and further. Their kind of heads are turning. They're looking to the right. They're like kind of looking past the camera at this point. And then the doorbell rings. Hadred runs over to the door of the bullet candy, proclaims him the luckiest kids ever. Back to the brimstone assembly. Santa and appears. These kids are exhausted. Dude, they are. And they're, they're panting like. <laughs> and they have genuine pride on their faces, too. Like, they are overjoyed. I'm glad hatred was there to make that trip worth the while. Cause like getting there, like imagine being that kid surviving the gauntlet and then you get like half a fucking almond joy. That would be awful. <laughs> that would be I like, awful. this is how horror movies start. Like, you know, man stabbed in throat child goes to like in a juvenile center for the insane. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm actually going to put the call out right now. Like, if y'all are going to be putting out candy for Halloween, I beg of you, 2020 has been a hell of a year. Do the big candy bars. Just, just do it. Just do it. You're going to get what? Like 30, 40, 50 kids, maybe a hundred. You ain't going out to the bars like you used to spring for the king size or very least the full size. Just, just do it. Help make these kids' Halloweens the stuff of legend. Counter off. A lot of kids will not even be going out this Halloween. So make the ones who do go out feel like they've run the gauntlet of lasers and defense measures and electric fences. Like, reward these kids. Just do it. Counter offer. What's that? I said counter offer. All right. So uh, I saw a, a thing on Twitter where this guy is uh his kids are actually going around making gift bags for people and leaving them on their porches like reverse trick-or-treating and they're calling it linoing so if i saw this yeah i couldn't figure out like because the things they're quote-unquote linoing are awful oh dude yeah it's like uh, uh an onion some batteries a toothbrush so in in the spirit of linoing because i like the idea of of like the reverse like you know doing some charitable work on thanksgiving you know in in the time of covid you know maybe you can leave you know safely leave candy on people's porches and stuff uh or in this instance strange accoutrement so my call to action is going to be venture fans get your clones together and leave people rusty ventures on their porches just a, a hot uh, steamy wait, wait, rusty wait, venture. Wait, 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 wait. No, no. Do not leave a rusty venture on anyone's porch. Yes, no, I'm fully endorsing this. No. Uh, whatever a rusty venture might be. No, 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 no. No one needs sloughed skin cells. <laughs> All right, so we're back at the Brimstone Academy. Or assembly and Santa appears above the group. <laughs> Do you and think that this is a call out to like uh, the nightmare before Christmas? Halloween comes in and kind of screws things up, but saves Christmas. Christmas as like in Adventureverse, Christmas came to save Halloween. I hadn't put that together, but that's brilliant. I don't know if it's intentional, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm calling a cannon from here on out. Yeah, that would totally. Yeah. I love it. Head cannon. Boom. So it turns out Santa's not really Santa. He's the master. And he's like, hello, you all know me. I live in many of your closets. And guess what? 
you have forced me out of the closet. Alchemist yells, you go, girl. And the master says, solidarity, my brother. <laughs> the outrider's like, my master, why have you chosen the form of Father Christmas? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Should I have chosen the Halloween ferret? Not a lot of options here, pal. <laughs> I want to see the Halloween ferret now with, the, I know. with his voice. <laughs> now... Dragoon's like, you're not Shanta, you're the devil. And at which point he puts a spell on Dragoon, knocking him out. It's like, Red Mantle, you know better than to bring a normal here, even if he is wearing black. That's not cool. And Mantle, of course, is like, want to miss the party, right? They've gotten so like, much you know juice out of that one gag. Like, they've yes, gotten, like, three solid jokes out of that one one gag with, like, the, the one head wearing a black face and the other head not, and uncomfortably dealing with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the master shuts down the party. He's like, you've lost the true meaning of Christmas. This was a day that a baby was born to remind us that we shouldn't raise an army of dead guys just because we can't. And actually, we didn't talk. We really need to. Uh, the zombies, did you notice who was in that group of zombies? Did 24 show up? No. Uh, I want to say the one gentleman, uh, or or at least the the part of uh, what was the guy's name? Parts of Venturestein. Yeah, Tex. Uh, Who was the the kid from uh, the opening of the episode? Yeah, Uh, Frosty Tex. Smoke of Venture got him. Yeah. Uh, We also had a, a bunch of OSI agents, and we had Dean. Dean. There's a Dean in there? There's a Dean in there. I wonder if it was uh, carbon monoxide Dean, the silent killer. Okay, do you ever think they've actually, okay, the the one thing I think that maybe a lot of assumption, like a lot of the assumption is, is that they always die in pairs. Do you think there are instances where they die individually and then it's like, well, where's, where's Hank? Uh, Hank is hanging out with uh, so-and-so for the next two to four weeks, depending on. Uh, (laughs) Uh, You know what? Let's get one shade darker. What if when one of them dies, they have to kill the other so that their memories line up? (laughs) Oh, man. Like, that's... uh, You went to Starbucks for that dark roast. I can just see, like, Doc looking at Brock and giving him the nod, and then Brock just sadly walks up and just, like, snaps the neck of the living one. <laughs> All right, back to the lab. Got to warm up some more slugs. Like, <laughs> Oh, dude, it's even like, no, I- I've already warmed up the slug, Brock. You have to do it this time. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> we can't let them meet each other again. <laughs> like, <laughs> Then that's two you have to do. So... <laughs> The master shut down the party. Dr. O is still stewing outside with the little trick-or-treaters who uh, come up to him for some candy, too. And I love that he's like, I'm sorry, oh, I'm just going to say this. What's Not that? putting down Venture Brothers like PETA putting down puppies, man. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to talk about children getting candy and the true meaning of Halloween. And, and just, we're on dead puppies again. <laughs> You just can't help it. Whoa, whoa. Tis the season. <laughs> reasons for dead puppies. Halloween is that time and place. It is indeed. You know, that is one Halloween costume I don't want to see. 
Sexy dead puppies. Sexy dead puppies. <laughs> Sexy damn dead puppies. <laughs> so Dr. O is still stewing. The kids come up. And he's like, you know what? I'll go get you some more d'oeuvres. And he goes inside. And he sees the master who informs Dr. O of what everybody else did. And Dr. O is angry. And the alchemist, and of course, the master is like, whoa, whoa, yeah, we're about to get a lecture. Take it easy on him, right? So, didn't uh, know that daddy keeps bullets in the gun. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, the alchemist apologizes. You know, we just got swept up in the Halloween spirit. And Dr. Orpheus delivers this very special Halloween episode, like, like, you know, moral of the story. That is and not the spirit. You will now recite in your best Stephen Rattazzi impression. Uh, I'm actually going to throw this to Vaud. Oh, shit. I would have prepared on this one. <clears throat> oh, God. I can't even get it close to his. I'll give it, I'll give it some dramatic flair. I'll, I'll try, but I, I don't have a Stephen Rattazzi. Um, that is not the spirit of Halloween. That is... No, 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 no. Don't go to me for this. This <laughs> is this okay, is not the day this? for me. Beast, let's let, let's hear yours. Uh I actually don't have the the like script pulled up for fear of like uh giving this computer a heart attack. <laughs> I have an idea. If you if you do the screen share, I'll That's read exactly it what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm gonna read it as Saint. Oh, you, you you have to enable me. Oh, I'm an enabler. Uh, I just made you host. Does that enable you to do things? Yeah. All right, right here. All right. <clears throat> All right, PUA. <laughs> I have to find something to wet the whistle. No, that's too lispy. That's like curse. <laughs> that is curse. All right. Uh, so uh, this is Beast Lamode uh, auditioning for Dr. Orpheus as. Uh, St. Cloud. <clears throat> that is not the spirit of Halloween, P.Y. This, this is a night of true magic. Halloween is the night that we discover who we are. Are we the people who make zombie armies? Hang on, I've got to zoom that in a little bit if possible. I'm getting old. Are we those who condemn others? like quiz boy or, <laughs> or are we beautiful children in resplendent costumes collecting candy are our choices in costumes provocative mm. <laughs> do we dress up as our ideal self py or are we not ready to or are we not ready to decide what to be do you see it now we use this one night to one enchanted night to perform the greatest feat of magic there is, we become ourselves. Halloween is the true magic, P.Y. It is the night we discover who we really are. 
That was pretty solid. That was pretty solid, man. I, I'm impressed. That was uh, uncalled for. <laughs> Uh, I like to talk to my animals as as uh, Saint Cloud. <laughs> right? Come here, Gary. I call my little cat uh, Buddy, and I always just, hey, Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, stop licking yourself in front of company. <laughs> so, at that moment, Halloween is the true magic. It is the night we discover who we really are. The episode ends, and the credits roll. And for our stinger, we get Dean sitting on the roof of the main venture compound as the sun rises. Hank joins him. Hank's like, hey, thought you died. Dean says, well, wouldn't be the first time. So where's Dermot? He <laughs> says, he's watching the Twilight Zone marathon with the grown-ups. What happened in the Potter house? Dean's like, uh, I learned something. Something scary? Well, what? I guess I learned that, and you're expecting him to kind of drop the bomb, and then he decides not to. He says, beer tastes like pee-pee. <laughs> so when Hank joins him on the roof, could you also say, could you say that the, the sun also rises? <laughs> right. uh, uh, no, that was, uh, you really kind of hit the nail on the head, man, when you said there's a lot of, a lot of touching sibling moments, like the weird cupcake, you know, throwing the cupcake, you know, the fart cupcake. Uh, the beer tastes like pee-pee, you know, um, you, you see the boys get to mature past being, you know, caricatures of the Hardy Boys, you know, now these are more like, you know, real kids that, you know, uh, we grew up with, you know what I mean? Real kids that are walking around, you know, today. Uh, I don't know, I don't know if like, uh, if the, the actual ventures would, would time out with like, uh you know gen z stuff like that um in terms of like you know things that you can recollect in in those kinds of like kid memories because dermot would not be tolerated in school now <laughs> like period you know it's funny they actually were talking about it on the commentaries uh where the character of dermot kind of came from and they were talking about how um they had like that kid in the neighborhood who even if they didn't necessarily do something if a window got broken it would always get attributed to that one kid because that's the bad kid and it, it, it is sort of a staple that I feel like I definitely grew up with but I don't know if it necessarily keeps tracking you know um the Judd Nelson yeah that I, I I don't know if the Judd Nelson kid still really exists in high school anymore or not or uh I guess to put it to a younger generation Sid from Toy Story. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Which, like, let's talk about Toy Story uh, as a horror film real quick. Oh, it gets dark. Well, and from Sid's perspective, like, that kid's life is wrecked and ruined, man. Like, he's just having a normal day, expressing himself, maybe not in the best way possible, but well, he's an inventive kid. Yeah, let, let's, not, let's not downplay Sid. He's being very creative, independent, and downright dynamic with his toys. He shows a strong aptitude for engineering, divergent thought, and a willingness to travel, to take the path less traveled. Yeah. And then one day, these toys, these beloved toys that he loves tinkering with, come to life and, like, scare him into, like, years of therapy. 
and uh, like a, a story nobody will believe. Can you imagine him opening up to somebody and being like, no, listen, if I told you what really happened, and then like the, the first girl that really, or, or guy, you know, the first partner that really gets his heart, and he's like, listen, I'm not really crazy, but when I was a kid, fucking Buzz Lightyear chased me on a, with a fucking rocket. Yeah. People are going to be like, no, yeah. sorry. Like, like, I mean, can you imagine the, like, imagine that kid going to sleep? Cause you see how he responds after that too. Like Sally holds up her dolly and he runs away. Like from there on in every birthday that kid ever has is now ruined from that moment on every normal expression of love in the form of a gift is now immediately suspect. Well, I mean, I think that's just childhood though. <laughs> um, no, I just love the idea that you're putting out where it's like, uh, opening up to somebody your first real love or something like that like you always kind of expect some weird baggage or something like, oh they believe in ghosts or like you know there's just that one thing that isn't your brand but you find out the other person believes it or is into it and you're just sort of like all right i gotta learn to live with this one that one i, I don't know if that one got spat across the table to me i don't know if i would be able to stick with the person who actually thought toys came to life and attacked him as a kid that right, might just so, be like uh... a bridge too far in, in, in the spirit of Halloween, uh, I'll actually go down this rabbit hole with you guys real quick, talking about toys coming to life. Uh, the most notable of, of recent era of the past like 20, 30 years has been Child's Play, Chucky, right? Mm -hmm. Now, did you know that this is based on, a, on an actual like thing? No. Uh, Lore uh, did an episode um, of both their TV show and their podcast about a gentleman who grew up with a, uh, and this was like, took place in the 40s and 50s when he was a younger kid. Uh, like he had a, a maid growing up and you know she was from the islands and made him a doll. Uh, and then like the doll like came to life and would do weird shit. Like you'd hear him running around. Um, and at first, like, you know, it's all very, you know, typical, like the movies say, like, you know, uh, he got blamed for some stuff and he's like, yeah, but you know, so-and-so did it. Like, I forget the fucking doll's name. Um, cause I've only listened to the story once. Like it's that it's creeped me out that much. Uh, and he would go on to blame, you know, the doll. And then like the parents were like, what? No. Until the parents started seeing it for themselves. Then they put the doll in the attic, moved out, kept the house, and eventually he inherited the family home, moved his family into it as an adult. The creepy-ass doll still upstairs, starts harassing his children. Like, uh, allegedly, they come into the room like one of his children screams, and uh, the doll has a knife in the room. And, like, the, the doll was not there beforehand. Um... So uh, after that, they said, you know, fuck it, uh, sold the house, moved out, left the doll in the attic, told the people about the doll. They were like, you know, there's this creepy fucking like relic upstairs. You can get rid of it, burn it, uh, take it to a priest. You're going to need an old priest and a young priest. Start reading at Genesis 35, like, you know, giving them, you know, kind of the, the caveat M tour. 
and now this doll actually, like the new homeowners started having incidents with the doll themselves. And now it actually resides in a museum in Florida uh, where the house, like not far from where the house is actually located. I'm actually looking at a picture of the doll right now. Its name was Robert. It was dressed in a little sailor's outfit. Yeah. And, uh, Fuck that. <laughs> Yeah, apparently the doll mutilated other toys and even tied a cord around their dog's neck. Uh, it's bizarre the things you find out are based on true stories. Or, you know, I mean, we can't go back and empirically say what was actually happening. If somebody was having some sort of like disassociative psychosis or just playing a fucked up series of pranks. Or if this is a, like a, a legitimate like instance of, of this thing happening. But, like, it's interesting, you know, to find out uh, where these things kind of come from and, and how they permeate into the, the pop culture. Like, Freddy Krueger is based on actual instances of people dying from nightmares uh, in, in Southeast Asia. You know, uh, one thing Savage and I and, and Villain and I talk about a lot is, uh, you know, I say not a lot, but, like, we've, we've brought up a few times is, like, the cultural crater left by Ed Gein. Um, you know, how many like, you know, horror films, like he, he pretty much inspired modern American horror. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, and all of these things have like this weird base in not necessarily like, we won't say fact, but we'll, we'll say truth. Like, you know, there is a kernel of truth, if not a kernel of fact. I mean, well, and I, that's also like, if we're going to take a broader approach to this, that's also the power of myth, right? Like just all myth everywhere ever. You know, uh, Schliemann was tromping through Turkey and Mycenae with a copy of the Iliad in his hand, you know, and that's what led him to discover Troy and the ancient palace complex of Mycenae. And, you know, we look at these fanciful elements, these stories that have come down for generations in some cases, and there is not just a kernel of truth in the story, but a deeper truth behind the telling of it. Uh, I actually have a theory about the oldest story that we still tell each other. And it's one everybody knows. Oh, is it that, uh, that legend about uh, a guy in a butterfly suit getting caught in a turbine? No, but you're not far off. <laughs> Uh, we were talking about legends, urban legends. Had to had to tie in the. How do you start an urban legend about a guy in a butterfly costume? <laughs> but, uh, go on. Well, in, in my estimate, it's the boy who cried wolf. I believe that the boy who cried wolf is a ten thousand year old story. Uh, it's a story. I buy that. It is yeah. pre any language. I would not be surprised if we didn't find this story in every like Indo-European culture somewhere, like because it is a pastoral nomadic tale. So it's pre-agriculture. And it is a basic parable about why it's important to trust the people that you share your community with. Because if you are shown to be untrustworthy, no one will believe you when something bad happens. That is a crucial life lesson that I guarantee is based on a real incident that spoke to such a truth that it got passed down for 
you know, 200 generations. I mean, it's a story that needs no area. All you need is a predator in your area, and that story could come about. You don't need civilization necessarily. You don't need a whole bunch of people. You just need enough little group of people and something around you that could eat you. And that story could have come about at any point. And I think to some degree, that's also why the Ed Gein story inspired so much horror. Because the fundamentals of the Ed Gein story are, you know, here's a man who is good on the surface. And and one of the the things unique to the, the Ed Gein story is, for as much press as he got, and as much as his as big as his crater is, he only actually killed two people. I mean, I don't even technically think that qualifies as serial killer. But what he did do that was even more just it's even harder to think like on a cultural level, like what's more debasing in humanity than like murder. Well, come to find out there is a limit for that. Like there, <laughs> there is something in our minds that is beyond that defiling the dead. Yeah. And, you know, not giving, you know, not letting them rest. And that was very much Ed Gein's MO. Like, you know, they say, live your truth. Ed Gein was very much living his truth in the worst way possible. <laughs> um, you know, but at the same time, like, uh, yeah, he, he proved that there is a line beyond murder. You know, there is like a, a line and it, it's where the, the thing butts up against like real mortality. Uh, you know, murder is upsetting because it forces us to, to assume our, uh, you know, think our mortality. But then like, you know, to have one's grave defiled and to think that even afterward there's no peace. Uh, that is even ultimately more terrifying. I mean, so many of the the human mythos are centered around like keeping the dead where they belong. Mm-hmm. Like death rituals are some of the most important things uh, ever. Uh, one of my favorite facts about society. Do you know what we used to call it, like living rooms before like a certain point in the 1800s? Drawing room. Parlors. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened in parlors? Funerals. Viewings. Uh, in fact, it was not so long ago. Like, my grandma Jean had her, like, viewing in the family home. Uh, we stayed. Also, where that. weddings used to happen. Mm-hmm. We stayed in the house that night, one very thin for Micah wall away from Grandma Jean. This was very upsetting to my mom. I'm, like, three, four years old at this point. I don't, it doesn't skeeve me out, but like, I understand why it was bothersome to mom. Like we push like mortality and death so far out of the house. It's like, no, 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 this isn't a parlor. This is a fucking living room. People come <laughs> here to live. <laughs> and that's why those like taboos are always going to be persistent because like it's the ultimate taboo. Well, and in light of everything that we've just discussed, that really puts a very specific pin in the emotions that Dean is feeling on that rooftop. Because what happens when you find out that this thing that seemed so far away has impacted you more than once and you are not just who you thought you were, you're not even what you thought you were. 
And, you know, one of the things that they mentioned in that NPR article that uh, Public and Hammer did was that they were doing things that nobody else was doing. They had, you know, this wasn't just a sitcom where everything reset. Things that happened in the show carried on to the next episodes. And sometimes things wouldn't pay off for seasons, right? That, that world building was so tightly constructed in its own way. Like, yes, a lot of it was left field. There was a whole lot of spaghetti thrown at the wall, but every piece of spaghetti that fell to the floor stayed there. <laughs> you know, everything that stuck to the wall. What was the thing? It's like, yeah, if that wall got damaged, it either stayed damaged or somebody had to fix it, you know? And when we're looking at why the power of this show has affected so many people, it's because they're using this relatively um, unassuming format to really look at some difficult and psychologically dangerous issues. And, you know, in this moment with Dean up on the rooftop and Hank coming up to join him, the choice that Dean makes not to steal that sense of self from his brother is an incredibly selfless act. Like, and, and it's so funny to me how they kind of play it off. And I can't pretend that it's not intentional because we've seen Dean grow up in a way that he hadn't previously. And like, I mean, at this point, he's even tried a beer. And how is it that Dean phrases this thing that he wants to tell Hank instead of the thing he actually wants to tell him? He says, beer tastes like pee-pee. Not piss. Not piss. Because new Dean doesn't curse like that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, that's new Hanksgiving. Yeah, Hanksgiving. Are we going to celebrate Thanksgiving? We are now. <laughs> <laughs> so with that arc kind of hanging right there, in many ways, it's like this sword of Damocles hanging by a thread over Dean. Uh, what is it they say? Uh, you know, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Like this is something that is going to be you know, I, I think when we're looking at Dean's development in the later seasons, this is the moment all of that changes. I get that. This is very much the, the pivot point. I feel like this episode definitely came up at a point in the writing when they were like, we need to start moving X, Y, and Z along. And this episode despite the fact it's just sort of a fun Halloween episode, they really did actually kind of crank the gears on several storylines. Um, well, and they not just necessarily moving them forward. Of heart. Yeah. I mean, it really is one of the better Halloween specials of any show period, just for the fact that most of the time they, they're sort of an aside. Uh, things don't usually tend to really happen in a Halloween episode too, too much, but this one kind of, almost start to finish there's big things sort of dropping here there and everywhere well and theoretically we could say that about any holiday special with the sole exception to this being the doctor who christmas specials which you know ordinarily when you'd look back at a show like the the holiday specials are thematic one-offs there's okay how do we play with these characters in this environment you yeah. don't often see those changes 
having the kind of impacts that this particular episode had. Minus maybe the uh, breakup at a Halloween party. I can't think of anything else that you might throw into any other show on the Halloween episode that would be plot changey. Um, whereas they basically oh. dropped the biggest bomb in the entire show um, onto one of the two characters who has no idea about it. Um, so here's a question for you guys uh, to, to go ahead and cap everything off. What do you think pleasure toast tastes like? Ultimate pleasure. Um, so do you remember that line from uh, the Fellowship of the Ring where Frodo is kind of talking about Ranger, Strider, right? Aragorn. And he's like, I feel like if it were a servant of the dark, it would look fair and feel foul. Whereas, you know, Strider looks foul but feels fair right? Maybe that's all Pleasure Toast is. It looks disgusting. Like, if you took a shaft of dick and, like, spread it out to, like, Texas toast, like, thickness and, like, width, like, that looks yeah. disgusting, but maybe Pleasure Toast is legit the most orgasmic, terrific experience. Like, yeah, it tastes, like, you bite into it and it's pulsating blood, just, like, you know, like you bite into it and it's alive and it's awful. And uh, then it just takes you on this like DMT trip of O waves. Uh, you know, to me, uh, and again, just going back to the texture, I think pleasure toast is the sensation that like Hannibal Lecter gets when he's feeding that dude his own brain. Ray Liotta. Yeah, Ray Liotta. <laughs> there we go. Oh, right. Yeah, like Lay he was feeding Ray Liotta pleasure toast. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're, you're kind of onto something there. Like pleasure toast looks gross, but then like, if you can muscle past it, you're going straight to hot dolphin. <laughs> pleasure toast tastes like hot dolphin. So I, I have a real life pleasure toast that I still haven't tried because it just looks disgusting to me. But somebody told me I have to try doing uh, grilled cheese with mayo. And that mayo just Ooh. is kind of revolting to me. I can't stand mayo. So the idea of putting mayo on bread and then making it hot, that's always just in my head. I then picture oh. pleasure toast. Okay, first off, number one, uh, get Duke's brand mayonnaise. Brand of mayonnaise fucking matters. We're in like coming from the South as like a fat man with like, you know, likely clogging arteries, like filling it with that mayonnaise, like the flavor matters, okay? Uh, second, think about it as a replacement for butter. That's what, what I've heard, really that's, doing, yeah. Yeah, is you're taking the oil content from the mayonnaise and using that to fry the, the sandwich instead of, instead of the butter. It is, it's a fucking revelation. Uh, so, see, I might like the pleasure toast. It, it, it might look foul to me, but, you know, you take that bite and ultimate pleasure. <laughs> I was well, going to say, like, how do you get MDMA in a spreadable form? Like, I am about that. <laughs> <laughs> I like where this is going. Well, unfortunately, it has taken us where it is going to have gone. So, 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us tonight on what was our attempt at a shorter Halloween episode. <laughs> I, I was totally episode. about to, I thought oh, you were to say it, our attempt at pleasure toast. <laughs> <laughs> At a shorter episode, a very special episode of Conjectural Technologies. I have been your host, Inimitable Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion, Beast Lamode. And we were joined, as always, by our resident denizen of dinner theater, the vaudevillain, a man for whom the dinner bell tolls. (laughs) Nice. You're good at this. Oh, dude, his follow up is the telltale fart. Oh. (laughs) I was trying to figure out how to make it like the cask of uh, Mom till Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, but it didn't work out. The cask of Amatillado, but I couldn't make the Amatillado work. That's cool. We'll just hop in Chester A. Arthur's time machine and rewind that. I believe in it. Gentlemen, excellent work as always. Happy Halloween. Go Team Venture. On the count of three. One, two, three. Go, Go Team, team Venture. Venture. Holy shit, that was really good, guys. I, I'm, I couldn't hear it over the sound of my own enthusiasm. I was pretty enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm going to go get some pleasure toast. Later on, guys. Later. All right. Take it easy. Pew, pew, pew.